Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. So good to see everyone here this morning. Um, we are in our final week of Keystone Habits. I have heard lots of uh, really good feedback over the last few weeks about how uh, God's been using um, the Word to speak into people's lives. And, and I'm really hoping that as much as this sounds really practical, but this is about building our lives on godly principles. By the way, am I booming a little bit? No? Okay, cool. I don't know, I'm just hearing myself echo. But maybe it's just, yeah. Anyway, cool. So if you talk back to me, I'm not going to hear the echo as much. All right? And that's the way I like it. So this is your permission, Sandy, to just be yourself. <laughs> and everyone else as well. Um, but um, today I am finishing off this series and I'm going to give you a habit that I believe holds all the other habits that we've been talking about together. In fact, I believe that if you practice this particular habit, you will be able to practice the other two habits really well as well. And it's kind of weird that I'm finishing off here, but I feel like you're only going to really appreciate what I'm going to talk about through the understanding of the other habits. So who remembers what we talked about in week one? We spoke about doing hard work before doing hard work. And then last week we talked about releasing your best yes. And today we are going to look at this habit through the lens of one of the Ten Commandments, which I know sounds a little bit strange, but here we go. Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15 says this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall do labor and do all your work, but the seventh, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male servant or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out there, out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Today, we're going to be talking about practicing the Sabbath. And, and, and in Genesis chapter 2, right at the start, we see that God instituted this idea of the seventh day day being a holy day. For six days he created the heavens and the earth and then on the seventh day God rested and he says this day is holy. But we don't see the word Sabbath until Exodus chapter 16. All right. So in Genesis 2 it talks about the seventh day being a holy day, being an important day, but we don't see the actual word Sabbath until Exodus chapter 16. And I want to take you there today because it's Really interesting. So what had happened when we hit Exodus 16 is that the Israelites had been brought out of Egypt, as we kind of read a, a little bit about in, in, um, in, in Deuteronomy 5. They were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. They were oppressed. They, they did all the manual labor. They had no rest whatsoever, working every single day for 400 years. And God raises up Moses as their leader. They leave Egypt and they make their way to the promised land. And the promised land is this place that God had promised their ancestors, a place of 
rest, a place where they could flourish. And, and when we look at the Exodus, we have to understand that the Exodus is actually a bit of a shadow of what God is doing in our lives, that we are taken away from a place of oppression and slavery to sin to a place of God's rest, a place of God's uh, grace and where we can flourish, right? So that's something that we just, just hold in mind as we talk about this. So they had left Egypt. They were on the way to the promised land and two and a half months in we hit exodus chapter 16 and i'm going to read to you what happened in exodus 16 in verse 3 because what happens here is a little bit crazy remember 400 years of slavery they were crying out to God, God save us, don't you love us, don't you hear us, don't you know what is happening to us? They get saved and then they say this two and a half months, 80 days, maybe, 75, 80 days later they say this, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. We sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you, speaking to Moses, have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Do you see how hilarious this is? How crazy it is that God through the 10 plagues and already they, they are 16 chapters in into their freedom, but only two and a half months in altogether into their freedom and they are saying, Oh, remember Egypt where we had pots of meat? Where we could eat whenever we wanted, however we wanted, how much we wanted. And we just had this amazing lifestyle of feasting back in Egypt where we were slaves. How cr- Do you, s- you should be laughing when you read the Bible sometimes. Literally, this is crazy stuff. But what I think was happening was that two and a half months in, these slave people who are now free, they had run out of the resources that they had brought out of Egypt with them. They had now have their resources dwindling and they were getting a little bit worried. They thought that they would not have enough. And so they come to Moses and, and they probably don't know like they had 400 years of perpetual slavery. They knew what life was like back then. They knew what to expect, but this was new to them, right? They did not know what to expect. They did not know what it was going to be like. And so they, they, they just whinged. And anyone here ever had a whinge before? Yeah, so they had one of those brain fade whinges. And, and God actually, I believe, had taken them two and a half months in, made sure that they had used up all their resources before we get to this point, and God provides for them, proving to them that he was able to provide. And so what God does, you can read in Exodus 16, he provides something called manna. Manna was this bread that would just form in the morning on the ground, and um, they, didn't, they looked at it and they are like, what is this? And literally, what is this translated in Hebrew kind of sounds like manna. And if you are from Singapore or Malaysia, um, uh, there's this Malay word called mana. And mana means, what is this? So I'm thinking Chinese people or Malay people are actually kind of descendants of the Hebrews. In other words, we are higher people. No, I'm totally joking. But they looked at this and like, what is this? Well, it's bread from heaven. 
And then they had that in the morning, and God sent these quails to dive bomb onto their um, camps at night. These quails literally fell out of the sky for them to just go, oh, yep, yeah. oh, that look, looks like a nice plump one. And let's have another one. You want one too? Okay, yep, yeah, we've got that. They had this crazy food that literally appeared in the morning and fell out of the sky at night. I wish that, that was the kind of life that I had. I don't care about the meat pots of Egypt. I want a quail from heaven. I want a manna that just appears when I wake up, get out of bed. Ah, here we go. How crazy would it be to live in that space and in that time? Just get this picture. You need to visualize it. The Bible is full of words, but you need to put some pictures into it and understand what it's like. And, and, and what, what, what was taking place was this. God specifically told the Israelites that He would be their provider, and so they were only allowed to collect enough for that day. They were not allowed to keep any for the next day because God would provide for the next day. So what did the Israelites do? They kept some for the next day. That's exactly what they did. And in verse 20, we find that, that whatever was kept overnight became filled with maggots and smelled absolutely rank. Terrible. And so God was a little bit angry at them and said, I told you so. This is how it works. You will have enough for each day and then we come to verse 22 to 27 and this is where the word sabbath appears so keep all that context in mind it's important to know that before we get to understanding what the sabbath is all about on the sixth day they gathered twice as much two omers for each person and omer is 1.4 kilograms i want you to think about this when god said i'm providing enough for you in the form of bread He's giving you one and a half kilos of bread per person per day. Who likes bread here? This is overload. This is two loaves of bread per person per day. And some of these guys were keeping some for tomorrow because they were scared that God didn't give enough. So they collected twice as much on the six days uh, on the sixth day, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to, uh, so bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, love the Israelites, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. God Later on, like a couple of verses, God's like, why are you guys so stubborn? I'm telling you the pattern of how you're supposed to live. I'm providing you two loaves of bread per person, per day, and you still want more. See, there's something about this sense of slavery that gets us into a place where we're not sure whether we can trust anyone else. 
There's something about slavery that puts us in a position where we think that we need to work to look after ourselves, to guard against circumstances that might happen in our lives. Beck and I are on a journey of adoption. We're about halfway through our assessments. And as part of this, we had to research, we had to do a lot of reading. And I came across this story, which I think illustrates this really well. You see, what happened was that there was this boy who had grown up in orphanages, in institutions, and there was never enough food for him. And so he was finally adopted one day, came to this uh, beautiful family that made room for this child. And they told him, you're going to have enough food whenever you want, however you want. But whenever it came to mealtimes, this boy would scoff his face rapidly. He wouldn't enjoy the food. He would just get it down because he wasn't sure whether the food would just be gone the next moment. He wasn't sure whether there was going to be any competition, even though he had his own plate. He was like inhaling this food because he was worried whether he would have enough. Now, the family would go to sleep at night. And in the middle of the night, this little boy would walk out of his room, go to the kitchen, go to the pantry, and take a whole bunch of food, bring it to his room. He wouldn't eat it. He just left it under his bed. A few days later, guess what mom found? This beautiful stash of food under the bed. And they tried to convince this little boy, you will always have enough. But he didn't get it because he was used to looking after himself. And so he continued to do this. And what the parents did, very clever, they bought a little basket filled it with all his favorite snacks and his favorite food, and they placed it in his room and said, this is yours. They made sure it was non-perishable. It's not going to be like maggots the next day. Here you go, have a basket of maggots. And they got this beautiful basket of favorite snack foods, placed it in his room to give him the security that they were able to provide for him. It was only then that he learned that he could trust that in this family, he would not need to go back to that food hoarding behavior. When you see a little boy like that, and you understand that that is something, a, a safety mechanism, a defensive mechanism because of what he went through, you can kind of understand why the Israelites did what they did. And I'm wondering how much it applies to us that all of us, we have come from places where in our story, each and every single one of us, some of us to a lesser extent, some of us to a huge extent, where we have learned that we need to work hard. We learn that we need to defend ourselves. We learn that we need to take it upon ourselves to match up and to perform in a way that we will get what we need for not just today, but tomorrow as well. And so the Israelites weren't just collecting food for today, even though there was more than enough for today, they collected enough for tomorrow, even though God was saying that He would provide for tomorrow. Because they weren't sure whether they could trust this God or not. And then on the sixth day, they, uh, on the seventh day, sorry, on the Sabbath day, even though God had proven over the whole week already that there was going to be more than enough, and then on the sixth day, God gave them twice of what they need so that they already had enough for the seventh day, they still went out because there was an insecurity inside of their heart. 
I'm wondering how many of us are living our lives with an insecurity inside of our soul about whether we can trust God and whether God is going to look after us. And that is the context of the Sabbath. The context of the Sabbath is that even though the slaves of Egypt were no longer the slaves of Egypt, they were the free men of Israel, they still behaved like the slaves of Egypt, wondering about their tomorrows, wondering if tomorrow was going to be enough, whether there was going to be enough, whether God was going to provide for them. And so they continued to work and work and work and work like they did in Egypt, even though they were free. The principle of the Sabbath is about this sense of understanding that I'm no longer a slave, but I'm a child of God who provides for me and gives me what I need. In the New Testament, we see Jesus talking about the Sabbath on a couple of occasions. You can read about them in Matthew chapter 12 and Mark chapter 2. We don't have time this morning to go into it. But Mark 2.27 says this, The Sabbath was made for man and not the man for Sabbath. See, many of us understand the rules and the regulations. We look at the Ten Commandments and we go, God wants to restrict We see it as how God is trying to control our lives. But Jesus says that the heart of the Sabbath isn't about restriction, it is about freedom. It is about releasing us from slavery. The Sabbath was made for man. God wants you to live free. So how does the Sabbath set us free? Do we really understand what the Sabbath is all about? See, I started to do a little bit of research into work and stress. Because necessarily when you work, you become stressed. Stress requires, so work requires you to be stressed in order for you to work. That's a natural fact of life. In fact, uh, studies have shown that if there is no stress in your body, you will actually die. Your heart pumps because there is stress. There's pressure on certain veins and certain valves. I don't actually know how it all works. I'm a pastor, not a doctor. What do you guys think? (laughs) But because there is this stress, physically speaking, our bodies function. And so the level of stress determines the level of activation of our bodies, right? Stress activates the activation system, simply put. And so what happens when we really work extra hard beyond the norm is that our bodies become overly activated. And what happens when our bodies are overly activated, this is a really interesting thing. We become stupid. Why do I say that? It's because the blood stops going to our brains as much and they start going to our muscles. So while you used to be brain over brawn, right now you've got brawn instead of brain, and you've never been very brawny at all, so you're pretty useless in a state when you're overly stressed. I hope I've offended every single person in this room. But that's 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 the truth of how stress works. Stress stress is ready ready for fight. Physical 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 is back is back is happening. And so when we live in a perpetual state of stress, what is going on is that the body 
body is getting this message that you need to get ready to fight. You need to get ready to flight. You need to get yourself ready, but your brain is not getting any resource that it needs to be able to do the work that our modern world requires us to. And so what happens when we get into that place is that we feel the stress of what is going on. We see that we are not able to carry out the work that we have been assigned to do. And so we stress out even more, right? And has anyone ever been in a season of life where you're just not able to cope with what is happening at work and you're getting really stressed out? And so you bring that work home with you, right? And and you're having a meal with your spouse or your, your family or your loved ones, your kids, but you're not really there because in your mind, you're stressed out and you're like, I better get back to work. I better get on to the stuff that I need to do. You're stressing out over dinner. You're not enjoying the meal. You don't even know what was there for the meal. And, and you scoff it down and you go back to work and you work and you work. All the time, your brain is dying on the inside because it's not getting the oxygen that it needs because you are stressed out. And so you go to bed having accomplished half of what you were hoping to accomplish having accomplished half of what you normally are able to accomplish, but because you're stressed out, your brain is dying. And then you go to sleep and you go, oh my gosh, I didn't get what I needed to get done. And so guess what? You know you need to sleep, but sleep doesn't come. Why? Because your body is still stressed and therefore it's activated. When a body is activated, how does it sleep? It doesn't. It's going. It's going and going and going and going. And that's the kind of culture that we live in today where this activated state becomes the norm for us. And that's not how God has designed us to be. He's not designed us to be super efficient, 100% all the time. He's designed us for six days of work. For six days, you will do all of your work. And then on the seventh day, you rest. Our bodies have been wired with an activation and a deactivation system. After a period of activation, we are meant to deactivate. One counselor writes this, the result of experiencing stress without an outlet for the energy, the stress response can be, sorry, let me read it again. The result of experiencing stress without an outlet for the energy of the stress response can be dilapidating. Worry, moodiness, self-criticism, sweating, irritation, muscle tension and pain, difficulty focusing, a pounding heart and headaches are some of the symptoms of stress. When you don't have an outlet for the energy caused by your body's stress response, these symptoms can stick around and interfere with your ability to live your life. Some of you just thought that I was your GP hearing your diagnosis. I'm being serious. This is real. Another therapist adds this, the stress response depletes the body's energy stores, throws hormones out of balance, and contributes to increased appetite and weight gain. I'm thinking of starting up a Stress Eaters Anonymous group. We're meeting on Tuesday nights at the Hub. Everyone bring your own snacks. I'm a stress eater. And when I'm reading some of this stuff, it's like, yeah, it's kind of what happens. See, one of the things that we've been told is that stress is an emotion. Stress is a feeling. Stress isn't just a feeling. It can be a feeling. 
but it's really what's going on inside of our bodies. And I used to be the kind of person that would not experience the feeling of stress, but I experienced the breakdown after. And I would fall sick. And I would, it was only when I fell sick that I was like, ah, stress. It's not very healthy. I used to think that that's what you needed to do. Get over your stress by not feeling it. No, it's still there. And so many of us have listened to this sense of how we need to work and work and work. And not many of us know how to rest. And here's another little issue. Some of us don't know how to rest. Many of us don't know how to rest. Because in today's world, we are not really given a leg up in terms of how to rest. A university in Queensland did this um, experiment and they got a whole bunch of students to sign up for it and they told these students that they needed to get off Facebook, deregister themselves from Facebook for five days. Not even a whole week, just five days. They measured the cortisol level in their saliva, which is a measure of stress, and then they measured it again on the fifth day. Guess what? Do I need to tell you? You guys are smart. The stress levels as measured by the cortisol, cortisol were significantly down. You would think that uni students would be like, oh, I should de-stress and do well in uni by getting out of Facebook. Guess what? All of those students self-reported, I want to get back on Facebook. In fact, all of them measured that they were less happy after having their stress levels drop because they thought that they were missing out. They thought that there was a whole world that they were like, I'm not being in that world and I'm not enjoying. I just want to go back to Egypt and eat my parts of meat. Are we really deactivating ourselves the way that we are meant to? Because so many people I know, myself included, what de-stressing looks like, you chuck on Netflix and then you have your phone with you at the same time. Those who were laughing do this, which means about 80% of the room, even that little chuckle on your face, you don't know what it means to deactivate because most of us are told Netflix and chill, although that's a different thing altogether. <laughs> But we are told that media, technology is what causes us to deactivate. It doesn't. Why doesn't it work is because our brains are still processing information. The professor that conducted that study in the University of Queensland, he wrote this, that Facebook is giving us so much information about so many people across the world that it necessarily is taxing. We are processing at the speed of light and our brains are going and 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 you're thinking that you're stopping but you're not stopping. You suddenly seen that article, that person's uh, uh, post on Instagram and now they've taken off likes on Instagram and so now you have to count every single person that liked it by yourself. Some of you are laughing because you do that. 
Somebody had no idea what was going on. Fantastic. We don't know how to relax. We don't know how to deactivate. But there's a principle written into the Word of God that isn't for the sake of making God happy, but it was created because that is the design of mankind. You work for six days and you learn how to relax on the seventh. Why don't we do that? Because we are scared that we are going to miss out. We are scared that there's not going to be enough. We are scared that we are going to fall behind. We are scared that, there's, that, that tomorrow we are going to find ourselves in a state. You know why social media is so addictive in that kind of a way? Because all your friends tell you this very similar kind of line. Have you heard about? What do you mean you haven't heard about? Are you a dinosaur living in a cave that is extinct? Why don't you know about what is happening in Florida? Because I don't flippin' live in Florida. I talk to young people, right? Teenagers. And they're like, we, and we used to run youth ministry and we'll ask them, let's do prayer requests. Who wants prayer for what's going on in their life? And say, so I want to pray for uh, the storms that are in California. I don't even know. I just made it up. There's no storms in California. Stop checking it out. Um, I want to pray for the storms in California because people are suffering there. I'm like, do you have any relatives there? No. Do you know anyone? No. I'm just stressed for them. We think we're being compassionate. No, we are being nosy. We are taking on information that we have been not, we've not been designed to carry as much off. We don't know how to switch off. We look at that YouTube tutorial on how our face is supposed to look and we start to think, what does my face look like? We look at that person fundraising for whatever is going on in their life and like, what am I doing? We compare, we contrast, we, we try to work out, where am I at? Do I have enough food for today? Do I have enough food for tomorrow? Do I have enough food for the next day? And all the while God is telling us, stop worrying. And I started to look into what the Hebrew mindset was about Sabbath. And the Sabbath in Hebrew poetry is often characterized as a bride. And these Hebrew poets would be writing about, I can't wait to meet my bride. The Sabbath. How many of us think about the rest day as a, I can't wait to enjoy the Sabbath. But what is the Sabbath all about? It's, not, it's about seizing work. The word Sabbath literally means seizing work. Do you understand when you're being activated? Do you understand how to deactivate? Do you understand when you're working and do you know when you are resting? And what the Israelites, what the Hebrews would do around a Sabbath was to take stock of their lives. They would just enjoy, practice gratitude for what has taken place that week. I can't wait to get to the Sabbath so that I can celebrate all that has taken place this week. How many of us do that? I know that for Beck and myself, on our day off, quite often we're thinking, well, what do we need to do next week? How often have we gone... How have we gone this week? And another thing that Beck and I got to experience five years ago is that the Sabbath always came with a time of feasting. Literally, there would be a Sabbath feast. 
we were in Israel five years ago and we were there for a couple of weeks and so we got to experience a couple of Sabbath feasts and literally they would just get around and the Hebrews just love to sing songs. Even songs that I'm like, why is that even a song? And so they would sing this. Sabbath is translated Shabbat. And so they would sing about the Sabbath piece. So they would sing, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat 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 Shalom. And then they would sing it again and again. And again, how many of you are saying Sunday, 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 Sunday? <laughs> they got a cackle. I'm actually doing well this morning. But they would sing songs and they would gather and they would tell stories of what God was doing. How many of us are doing that in our lives? Or whenever we are meeting with people, we are fixing things. We are trying to sort things out. We are trying to get the goss on what is happening somewhere else. And we've got no time to sit, relax. Another thing about the Hebrew mindset is that the Sabbath was about a time where you could pursue deeply spiritual pursuits. That's what one of the rabbis wrote. Is it? Quite often in that culture, you would work hard on your farms, looking after your livestock for six days. And then on the seventh day, they got to put all of that aside and go, God. See, I think that we can appreciate the Sabbath in the light of hard work and releasing our best yes. Because the Sabbath is not just about sitting around doing nothing. Another study that I read was about how relaxation is not relaxation without reflection, which I thought was really interesting. We don't truly deactivate unless we are reflecting. Did you know that? How many of you are reflecting on someone else's life on your day off? How many of you are truly looking at yourself and going, am I pursuing things that are meaningful? The Sabbath is about all of those things, and you're supposed to do it once out of seven days. Not halfway through the year when you finally got some time off because of your dragon boss. Not once a year when you finally got your act together and put in for some leave. When there's no one else expecting anything of you, say, finally, I've got some time for myself. But you're so dead tired, all you do is sleep. You're not really deactivating. You're getting some rest, which is still important. I'm not saying that you should be religious about this. Jesus spoke about this. He said it's not about religion. It's about understanding the principle. So this morning, I'm trying to put forward for you, what is your practice of the Sabbath? Some people truly are scared to stop and Sabbath. Now, I'm, I'm being serious. Look at yourself. Can you stop? A little while ago, I was speaking to a clinical psych. I was doing an interview with her for a podcast I was doing. And, um, and she told me about this practice of weekly. She would spend one hour in boredom. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. Our culture doesn't understand boredom anymore. And so she said, one hour a week, she would literally just sit. 
for an hour. What do you do? I sit. And? No, no, no. I sit. I allow myself to get bored. I shared this with a few people in our lift group last term. Every single one of them said, that is literal torture. Tortured by boredom. We would rather be in Egypt eating our pots of meat rather than be free and have one hour just to deactivate. We've got a problem, folks. Our mental health, our emotional health, our spiritual health is taking a hit because we think that rest is for the weak. How are you resting? Check yourself. How many of you are sleeping well? Like sleeping well. You wake up, you're refreshed, you're engaged, you're ready for the next day. If you can say that you don't get that, you've got a problem. When you talk to any mental health expert, they will tell you that one of the biggest issues is that people are just not resting. If you would rest, most of those issues would actually go away. Now I was reading this morning, I just want to finish with this if we can get the band up. Looking in Luke chapter 7. Sorry, Luke chapter 10. And in verse 38, we read about Jesus at the home of Mary and Martha. And says this, as Jesus and his disciples wandered away, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I realize that when I rest, people judge. I judge myself. Am I doing enough? Should I be allowed this? In fact, it's kind of crazy, but in the ancient world, people thought that the Jews were lazy people because they wanted every seventh day off. Literally, you read history, they're like, these lazy people. The Jews were one of the hardest working people because they knew how to rest. You are worried and upset. Someone needs to hear this. You're Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. Most of it doesn't matter. In fact, only one thing does. Do you know how to Sabbath? One of the things about the whole idea of the Sabbath and God's rest is salvation. So many of us think that in order to escape Egypt and slavery and 
all of that stuff. We need to work hard and we need to make sure that we are okay. But the Bible says time and time again that our salvation doesn't rest on our works, but it rests on what God has done. And when we don't know how to Sabbath, we don't know how to rest in God's work. But the truth is our work will never get us to a place where we have earned salvation. We are never going to be good enough to get to that place. And so we need a Savior who would do it for us. And we need to have a heart that is soft enough to say, I need help. And I need this because I can't make this happen by myself. And so this morning, I want to lead you into a prayer. A prayer that invites Jesus into your heart for salvation to be yours. Not something that you have to work for, but something that you can rest in. So every head bowed, every eye closed. This is the most amazing prayer you could say to invite Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. Let's say this together. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. I know that no amount of work that I do is going to be sufficient. But I thank you that the work that you did on the cross is enough. And so I invite you into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.